We're not necessarily going in with big ideas about how to solve the problems in a particular country. We want to go in and identify with the people of the country and then come alongside of them and help coach them to develop a business idea that will be profitable for them. Our guest today on First Person is Dr. Michael Cooper, who will introduce us to the mission of the Timothy Center. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I'll introduce you to our guest in just a few moments. These weekly conversations always point to the Lord Jesus Christ as the giver of life and the one who calls us to follow him in obedience. Each guest has their own unique story to tell of how God has proved himself faithful, and we've stored each interview on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You may want to go back and explore the conversations. Just click the listen button at firstpersoninterview.com. And join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. The Timothy Center for Sustainable Transformation was conceived by Dr. Michael Cooper in 2009 as a solution to the answer of how Christians can practically demonstrate their faith. After years of research in what people of different religions think of Christianity, Michael saw a tremendous need for Christians to live out their faith through the care of the marginalized. As Michael and I talked recently, I began by asking him about his organization's mission. The Timothy Center started in December 2010, and our mission is very simple. We try to identify entrepreneurs around the world and incubate business ideas that will engage in what we call our quadruple bottom line business. And that's a business that focuses on the economic, environmental, social, and spiritual well-being of people in order to raise their quality of life. And this is all motivated by the gospel. It, very much so. Uh, and this has been a journey, part of my personal journey, of seeing that we need to focus not only on the spiritual lives of people, but on their physical lives as well. Well, tell me about that spiritual journey for you then. How, how did God lead you to this point? And I mean, starting the Timothy Center is no small task. It hasn't been, but it's been a, a joy uh, to do. The journey really begins in 1990 uh, when I was a missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ and, and made that switch from Campus Crusade with the Evangelical Free Church and began to church plant in the country of Romania. And what I began to see was that there was a need for us to address some of the physical needs, but my focus at that time was really on the spiritual needs of people. I was, after all, a church planter. And I wanted to concentrate on uh, the soul salvation of people. But over time, I began to realize that that wasn't enough, that we really needed to care for their well-being in a physical way, uh, too. And we weren't doing that as church planters. And so over you know, this period of almost 20 years, uh, I've, I've come on this journey from seeing that the gospel is as much a part of the person's spiritual life as it is a part of their physical life. Have you found acceptance? Uh, I mean, this is, this is not something evangelicals are noted for. Yeah, that's a great question because I think we're seeing a trend in evangelicalism in the world today, particularly in the Western world. We're seeing that, yes, it's been very beneficial for us to concentrate on the spiritual gospel and soul salvation, in fact, necessary and needs to be a critical part, a key part of our gospel proclamation. But we're beginning to see this shift uh, to focusing on the other aspect of gospel proclamation, and that's meeting the physical needs of people. And so while among many evangelicals, this seems like a social gospel, I think really what we're seeing is that pendulum swing into the middle to identify that Jesus came not only for 
sole salvation of people, but also for their physical and material needs. How has this approach changed you personally, not just organizationally, but personally? Personally, it's changed me in in this sense. When I look at a person now, I see a person holistically. I see a person that has a need for salvation, personal salvation, spiritual salvation, but I also see a person who has a need for material well-being. And so, you know, I think of uh, Matthew chapter 25, for example, when Jesus is teaching his disciples that uh, care for the least of these is as if we are caring for Christ himself. And I take that as meaning that Jesus is saying that even the poor that we see are an expression of Christ. And if I just simply walk by that person, I am in essence walking past Christ himself. And so I have a responsibility to uh, respect that person, to dignify that person, to help that person materially as an image bearer of God. There certainly is an educational aspect uh, to what you do because you're not only working the projects, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, but you're educating Christians along the way, aren't you? Yes, very much so. And what we're trying to educate Christians in is this idea of the comprehensive gospel that uh, Jesus came as much for the person's soul as, as for their uh, physical needs, and that that in totality represents what the gospel is. It, we don't sacrifice one for the other. They both go hand in hand. And, um, and I think this is something that we uh, need to learn as evangelicals. So how is this funded? How does a Timothy Center operate? Uh, I know this is no small thing for you. Yeah, it isn't a small thing, but it operates on a a shoestring budget, uh, to be honest. We do a lot of what we've done out of our own pockets at this stage. Uh, Even though we formed in 2010, we're still in the process of getting that 501c3 nonprofit status, which has been a long process. Uh, But we are funded uh, through private donations. Uh, We're seeking foundation funding and so on. But it's amazing um, what you can do with the resources that you have. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been blessed by God uh, with resources and and, uh, a a diligent uh, person who oversees our budget, uh, being my wife. (laughs) And uh, we've been able to do some neat things. Talk more about the model. How, How have you set this up and how is it different from things we may have encountered before? Yeah, there are a number of different models in the world today in engaging uh, social issues and even among uh, Christians. But uh, the predominant models are uh, newer in themselves in in the sense of uh, the rise of an emphasis in the business world on social business. Social business generally focuses on a double bottom line, that double bottom line being the, the financial aspect of the business, but also a social component of the business. Um, where we're different is that we focus on a quadruple bottom line. So we're focusing on the financial aspect of the business, but we're also focusing on how that business can engage in environmental issues, social issues, and spiritual issues. And so all of the businesses that we're uh, attempting to start have that comprehensive focus um, so that we can get a, a real societal change. You know, I believe, Wayne, that if a society is going to change, it's, it, the worldview of a society has to change. And where I see social businesses falling short is that worldview change. Uh, they, they can change some of the social conditions of people, but unless the worldview of a people is changed, you're not going to see a, a comprehensive societal change. 
Business, of course, typically has one bottom line, and that is if it's a viable, if it's making money. It, it is viable if it's making money. But you have a, a different approach, as, as you've just said, but you, you have to stay in business. You have to have funds to operate. So do you put a different emphasis on, on the bottom line? Not necessarily a different emphasis. What we're trying to do is emphasize the business model comprehensively. And so while we're very much about profit and the businesses that we're starting will be profitable businesses, we don't want that profit to overshadow these other components of uh, helping uh, the environment, for example, or or helping particular social conditions, uh, but also helping uh, the person uh, spiritually. And so we don't want that profit to overshadow these other components. Mm -hmm. That has happened even in the history of Christianity as we see Business has been a part of missions for since the modern mission well, era. Paul was a tent maker. We can go all, <laughs> can the, go way all the way back, back there. there if you want. Yeah, we could. <laughs> um, but even in recent times, in our times, in the modern mission era, uh, missions to the United States, for example, were very much focused on commerce and uh, Christianity. It, this is what some have called colonialism or the three C's of colonialism commerce, Christianity, and civilization. So commerce has always been a part, or to some extent, to missions. But what has happened historically is commerce has overshadowed Christianity uh, in the mission of the gospel. What we're trying to do is to keep all of those things in balance and, and say that, yes, profit is, is good. We need to stay in business, and we want to stay in business because we know the businesses that we are doing are going to benefit society, both in all three ways, in the economic way, or all four ways, actually, in the economic, in the environmental, in the social, and in the spiritual ways. What do you do, and we'll talk about some of the specific countries and projects in a, in a few minutes, but what do you do to stay sensitive to you know, local and ethno issues that, that need to be observed? Our emphasis is being able to start businesses that are contextual. And so I apply my missions training and and my educational background to business so that when we go into a, a particular context, what we're looking for is how do you do business in that context? Much like we would ask the question, how do you do a church in that context? Mm-hmm. We don't come with the assumption that Western capitalism is a panacea uh, in every situation but we come uh, sensitive to the cultural values of people and try to build a business around those values. And, um, and, and so we spend a lot of time doing research. So you must listen before you act. Absolutely. In fact, um, it, most of our projects have been initiated by first going into a country and listening to the people and hearing what their concerns are, uh, what they see as issues. Coming up on the second half of today's program, we'll talk more with Dr. Michael Cooper of the Timothy Center. When you join us next week, we'll meet a father who's helping his children cope with grief. You know, I don't have the answers for how do you, you know, you know, five steps for how do you parent a kid through grief. But I think your presence, you know, for my kids, my presence in their lives has been the first one, at least. That might be the first step. The experience of a young father who's coping without a wife and mother. We'll talk with author Gerald Law next time on First Person. Talking with Dr. Michael Cooper today on First Person. He is the founder and president of the Timothy Center. 
a very unique ministry uh, and a model, and we want to explore that further today by talking about some of the specific projects. Now, you mentioned several countries at the outset today. How many countries are you involved in? Well, we're involved currently in Uruguay, Haiti, Romania, and the United States. And for a, an organization that, uh, that exists the way that you've described, that, that's, that's got to be a stretch to, to cover all that territory. You know, not really. You'd be surprised, actually. You know, I'm the type of person, and I've said this for many years, that if I could, I would write a book on how to start a church for $25 or less. <laughs> and what I've tried to do, even with that idea, is to apply it in this nonprofit business that mm-hmm. we're doing. I, I believe that we can do things and extraordinary things with very little money if we only put our minds to it. Well, let's talk about some of the specifics. I'll, I'll let you choose the country and the projects and the people. I, I want to hear about what difference it's making. Yeah, great. Well, let me talk about Haiti. Um, I just returned from Haiti last week where we have partnered with the Evangelical Free Churches of Northern Haiti and a ministry in the United States called Vision of Hope Ministries to launch a for-profit water distribution and packaging business. And this is, uh, has been a, a joy to see evolve over the past couple years. The original idea behind the water distribution uh, the ministry was that it would provide water, clean water, for a village in northern Haiti called Burrard. And it has done that for the past two years. The uh, water plant right now pumps about 2,900 gallons of water every day. And about 2,000, almost 2,000 gallons of that goes uh, free of charge to the city or the village of Burrard. What we're trying to do now is to move that model into a for-profit model while still being faithful to the original vision of that water plant and distributing that water for free. And so we're taking the excess of the water that we're pumping, which is about 700 gallons per day, and packaging it and selling it in the market of Capation in northern Haiti. Uh, The the idea behind this is that this business will be sustainable. Um, And really what we're trying to do is to reduce the need for Western funding for these types of things. Haiti has long been known as the land of NGOs. And we're trying to come in to make Non-government organizations. Non-government organizations. And they're everywhere. Uh, You can't go you know, a, a couple hundred yards without seeing a, a truck or or something that represents an NGO. Yeah, and we're grateful they're meeting needs, but... And that's the, and that's the big but in this, is that uh, we need to think about how can we help Haitians self-resource. Now, you've said several things that really piqued my interest. One of them was partnership. You're doing this in partnership with existing churches... Right. And with existing ministries there. So you're not starting from scratch. We're not. And that's key to who we are. We see the value of what has been going on in the world and in the countries where uh, we're working. And we want to come alongside of those people, those churches and those ministries to help them think through creatively. How can they be self-sustaining? And so Haiti is one example. Another example of this is in Uruguay. We're partnering with uh, the Christian Associates International, uh, which is a Western uh, church planting organization based in California, and with San Geronimo, which is based in Montevideo, uh, Uruguay. And we're coming alongside of them to create a business that will help address uh, the, the issue of COPD in Uruguay, which is caused by the burning of uh, rice husks hmm. after the harvest of rice. Wow. 
And so what we're doing there is taking the rice husk, and this is in the research and development stage at this point, but the idea is that we're going to take the rice husk, combine it with a adhesive, and press it into boards to provide low-cost building material for low-income housing in Uruguay. But it's a panel that we believe is marketable in all of South America. So a form of press board kind of? A, a form of press board uh-huh. that's using a raw material that is just being burned. Just being burned. Yeah. And those pollutants going into the atmosphere and, and causing uh, respiratory illnesses. Where do these ideas come from? You know, this idea was generated by a Uruguayan. I was down there, was invited to go down a couple years ago to talk about social entrepreneurship. Um, The ministry that invited me down, Christian Associates, wanted to see if there were ways in which social businesses might be able to advance the gospel, but also advance the church planting movement there. So as I was sharing with a group of Uruguayans about social entrepreneurship, uh, one young Uruguayan came up to me and said, you know what, I have this idea. This, you know, rice is one of the primary crops in Uruguay, and the husks right now are not used for anything, um, and they're just burnt. Is there a way that we can com- take these husks, combine them somehow, and make a low-cost building material for low-income housing? And so this was an idea completely generated out of Uruguay. Uh, I'm working now with this young man who's an engineer and his architect partner. And we're putting together a business plan. We're seeking some capital funds to do the research and development. And we're very optimistic in the future of this particular project. Taking you back to Haiti for a moment, the other thing that piqued my interest when you started talking about the water project was that you were focusing on one village, one location. So many times we move in and we we try to save the entire country and do big things for God. You're focusing on one place. At this point, we're focusing on one yeah, place. but you, it starts locally. It starts locally, and uh, and we're making a difference there. We've been able to employ uh, three people at the water plant. Uh, the water plant is located right next door to uh, the church that is sponsoring or that we're partnering with. And and we have a, um, a whole development scheme, if you will, uh, for that particular area. Uh, we're working alongside of uh, that church and the, the Northern Haitian Evangelical Free Churches to start a recycling business as well. So these lessons you're learning, they're transferable, aren't they? I believe that they are. Um, but the key to them being transferable is that we are trying to be culturally sensitive. Mm-hmm. We're not necessarily going in with big ideas about how to solve the problems in a particular country. We want to go in and identify with the people of the country what they see as the issues and then come alongside of them and help coach them to develop a business idea that will be profitable for them. How do you both lead and uh, make the the local people uh, actually be in charge of these kind of things? That's kind of a balancing act, isn't it? it? It is a balancing act, but I think the key to it is not being there. So I'm not in Haiti right now running the water plant business. Uh, you advise be. and coach, and we advise and coach, and and we let them develop the business as they see it needs to be developed. They are the experts of their cultures. I, I'm not. Um, I know something about business. I know something about how to engage culture, and I bring that expertise to them. But in terms of the actual functionality of a business, how it will work in a particular culture, they're going to be the best person to do that. 
you know, there's a, there was a principle that I learned a long time ago from uh, Roland Allen's text, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours, was such an instrumental text for me as a missionary. And what Allen argued was that if we are believers, we all share, we all possess the same Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he works in us in the West as much as he does in any country in the world. Mm -hmm. And so if we can simply trust the Holy Spirit to guide others as he's guiding us, then that is so liberating uh, in, in our work. And so in essence, what we're doing is we're trusting God to work in the lives of people in different countries to help to help their own particular circumstances as they are led by the Holy Spirit and um, uh, as they try to make their businesses profitable. That's an excellent point made by that book. Um, what evidence do you have? I know, th- I know that you really uh, put a lot of prayer and a lot of time into this. What evidence do you see of God at work through what you're doing, Michael? Well, you know, um, we're young at what we're doing. And this is very much a entrepreneurial project in its trial and error. Um, but we're seeing God at work. So, for example, I was down in Haiti uh, just last week, and uh, we were trying to get the packaging equipment uh, into from Port-au-Prince to Capation so that we can begin the business. And as we were doing this, we were able to meet with a congressman who said, you know, whatever it is that you need in order to start a business here, just come to me and, and let's talk and I'll help you do whatever it is that you need. That's one place mm-hmm. that we're seeing God just bring those relationships together. Things that you could not orchestrate. Things that we couldn't orchestrate. Here's another example, Wayne. Um, one of the projects that we're starting in that same community of Burrard is a university. And we're partnering together with Vision of Hope Ministries, the Free Churches of Capation, the Southeast District of the Evangelical Free Church. And we're coming along to create a university campus to help decentralize education in Haiti. That's been one of the issues um, that has uh, been on the forefront of people's minds since the earthquake. And what, what has happened as we've been doing this is that we had a senator from Haiti come to us and say, if you do this, we'll donate 23 acres of land. <laughs> and so there, we're right now in the process of taking possession of that 23 acres of land. But, but God is, uh, you know, I believe he's orchestrating these things because they're going to achieve his purposes. Dr. Michael Cooper of the Timothy Center for Sustainable Transformation. A short time after the interview you heard today, Michael learned that the IRS has granted 501c3 status to the Timothy Center, so they are eligible now to receive tax-deductible gifts. If you'd like to learn more, we've placed a link to the center on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll be able to read much more than we had time to talk about today, and you'll see photos and videos of their work in several countries. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com and follow the blue link to the Timothy Center. Also on our website, you'll find an archive of past interviews you may have missed or want to listen to again or even suggest to a friend. The archive is found at firstpersoninterview.com when you click on the Listen button. You'll also be able to leave a comment or suggestion for a future interview on our Facebook page, which is found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Once again, that's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. We're also found on iTunes as a podcast, which you can download automatically. Next week, you'll meet author Gerald Law, whose wife recently succumbed to cancer. He'll pay tribute to Susan and talk about experiencing grief. 
Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.